Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin, thanks to Inside Golf. Well, welcome to Backspin, brought to you by Inside Golf Magazine, Australia's most read golfing publication. My name is Larry Canning, and with me as usual, Gary Barter. Hello, Gaz. Hi, mate. How are you? Good, thank you, mate. Looking handsome, looking great. Thank looking, you. Thank looking you. rested. Um, Christmas was good. Yeah, had a break. Went fishing with Dimmy. Oh, with Dimmy, did you? Oh, yeah. Our it, last interview. It was so good. Today's show, Gaz, we'll be chatting with young gun, young Aussie gun, Jeffrey Guan, who has recently turned professional. He's played both the Australian Australian PGA and Australian Open as a pro, so interesting to hear what he's got to say about his new role in the world of golf, or Australian golf in particular. We've also got an Aussie journeyman, and we, we I know how much you hate, and I hate that term, Anthony Choate, but he is on a journey. It's a fascinating story. Very he's good just, he, Yes, very, very yeah, good. one of your charges. He's just won the Blitz Tournament in Melbourne, which is a, a T20 form of the game, I, I believe. I don't know a lot about it, but definitely Anthony will, will tell us about that. But he's one of these guys who just came out of the old-fashioned, did his apprenticeship, yep. didn't intend to be a pro, like a tour player, and suddenly he is. That'll be great to hear. You've got a tip, Gaz. It's the pre-round thought process. That's the best way of putting it, I think. Not that I'm a psychologist, but it is definitely part of... For every golfer. It's not just for the yeah, two ab- of absolutely. It'll help. You and I are just going to have a bit of a chin wag about where the world of golf is at the moment, in particular Live Golf. Backspin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter. Well, Gary, we spoke to Jed Morgan a little while ago about the upcoming Live Golf promotional event, which is how they get on that tour, the qualifying event. He missed out, sadly, came close, gave it a good run. He played well. He shot six under to get through the first of the three stages, and then in the 36-hole shootout, just couldn't get it done on that mm. day. Travis Smythe came, had a, gave it a bit of a crack too, a Live player. It played a couple of Live events earlier in the early yeah, in Wade, 2023. Yeah, Wade as well. Wade Ormsby, yeah. But the three players that did get through, I'm not sure the listeners or I have heard heard of them, Calais Samuja from Finland, Kieran Vincent from Zimbabwe, Jinashiro Kazuma from Japan are the three players that got through. And I think this is one of those moments where you say, well, where do these three guys come from? But we don't really know. We Obviously, the, the countries that they play, and they, they play tours around the world. But what's coming up for them in the future? I and mean, that's a massive, a massive qualifying effort to get to this level. I mean, is it still a case, Gaz, and you know more about this uh, live golf than I do, is it still a case of like coming 48th in a tournament you still pick up 150 odd thousand Australian or something? Yeah, you do. Like last money is about 130 US. Well, that's yeah, it's near it. That's if these guys... Now, even though they, they're they part of live now, there could be a possibility where one of them may be playing as a reserve. Mm. From my understanding, it doesn't guarantee them a spot on a team. Which doesn't guarantee them a spot at all in the field. They'll be travelling yeah, with, the, with the, the live entourage, and if there's an injured player, they come in and play. I'm not sure of the amount they get paid each week to do that, but it's, it's fairly attractive. Even if you're not playing, obviously John Rahm coming in has possibly opened up another three spots. Yes, that's or, true. Or, or smash. Depending on if he brings spot. players with him, mm. which is you know, with only a couple of weeks to go to the first event, we still haven't got any clarity on a number of the teams. The word is he was bringing over Adrianus, or as I like to call him, a dry anus. <laughs> Another Spanish player, Adri or Adri, has since entered, surprisingly entered for the first three DP World Tour events, 
leading up to the live event. So that would indicate that he may not be jumping ship with John Rahm to join John Rahm's team, which, which, as far as we know, still has John Rahm on his own, looking for three to bring three over and make 49 teams. I'm oh, sorry, 40, uh, 52 players and 13 teams, or he joins another team. So we still don't know what's going on. Well, John Rahm will have his own team. That will be for sure. Greg Norman has said publicly, hand on heart, I think was the quote, that the, he has uh, been somewhere between 8 and 12 players ringing him daily, wanting to be part of John Rahm's team, and obviously high-profile players. And we can only assume that that's still going on, but Jesus, they're living it till the last minute, aren't they? Yeah, I find it amazing there's been no announcement. Even our team, the Rippers, on the website, any sort of news, Arling Leishman and Cam are on that team. Mm. So there's two players for the Rippers. There's another two players for the Cliques to be filled. Right. Now, the cliques, Martin Kamer is the captain, but he's the only captain that is not part owner of the team. Which means what? (laughs) That he doesn't have control over the team? It doesn't have any say of who may come into his team. So Mm. he, he couldn't really ring anyone up and say, look, I'd like you to come and play. Do they give that team to Ram? Do they give that team to run yeah. if they're struggling getting marquee players? Because they want the product to be as strong as they can. Clearly, Ram coming, they would hope that Ram could bring one or two, whether it be PJ Tour players, mm. DP World players, like of big reputation. That's what they would be hoping. I find it interesting that at this point, there's been nothing. What about a Tagi? This has just sprung into my sometimes brilliant head gaze. Mm. Adrian Otegi, he has won twice on the European Tour since leaving Live Golf, which would suggest that he might go back. He's Spanish. Mm, that would make sense. Could this be like an exclusive Larry interview? Let's make this exclusive. Well, uh, yeah, if you can call that one, you've done well there. It's like watertight. All the rumours, all the it's hard to get any info. Obviously, there's been some movement within mm, yes, the yeah, current yeah, and you, teams. Yes, you've got a more, a more take on that, guys, how that's... Yeah, well, yeah. Varner's gone to the Aces. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Wolf was the one, he was the controversial one where obviously him and Brooks didn't see eye to eye for what, yep. whatever reason. And he's moved to the range goats. So that's he, Wolf, Wolf's yeah, moved so to the he's range with goats. Bubba. So clearly there's a there was a swap there. Mm. And Gooch has moved, which I found interesting because he had such a great season. So he's number one. Well, yeah, he was the he was the hot player obviously last year individually. Yeah, so Gooch has moved. He's gone to Brooks's team. So there has been some movement. I think Laurie Cantor, he's going to be the unlucky one because he, he finished in that zone, not the drop zone where you get completely flicked out of live. Yeah, 20, 25 to yeah, he, he, 44. The, the zone that Matt Jones is in where yeah. they can get picked up by other players. But if they don't, other teams, other teams if they don't, they're out. And Laurie wow. missed out. He was so close in that promotional final tournament as well. So felt sorry for Laurie. He played well in Australia. Great guy, great team guy, very good player. So he's... He's in limbo at the moment as well. So all we need to know now is something concrete. (laughs) Which we've been saying for the last 18 months. Yeah. So it's been a debacle really, hasn't it? In the last six months, it it is. And now uh, we got to the 31st of December, we were all going to be told this is exactly how the new PGA Tour Live Golf Piff is going to look for years going forward, and I hate that term. But we're no closer. In fact, we could even be further away than what we were six months ago. I mean, there was some kind of clarity six months ago that Live PIF Fund, Saudi Arabia, and the PGA Tour were joining, and the PGA Tour was going to become a for-profit. That was clear. Now, that's not even clear. So six months now, they've extended that. Oh, no, that's not true. No, they've extended that to the week before the Masters, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That decision. I, yeah, yeah. And Rory's come out now and he's flipped on a coin. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, you're aware of that statement that he released yes, about a week ago, but it was quite stunning. 
Yeah, how it's turned around. He was too judgmental. He resents, not resents, but he um, was apologising for, for judging the, the players and, and their move. He now realises that, I'm not sure why I didn't realise this earlier, that there are, unlike Tiger and he, and I think they're the two wealthiest golfers on the planet, other players aren't in that same position. Therefore, they've made the jump to get into that financial And he felt that was a good position. business decision for them. Mm. And he doesn't uh, bear any grudges for that. While ever he was defending, while ever Tiger and he were defending the PGA Tour, it was, it was blatantly obvious to me that they didn't have to go. Or they didn't need to go. They had, there was no reason why they had to go to, to play the Saudi Arabian stuff or, or live golf mm. because they had that money anyway. I'm not, I'm, John Rahm was a slightly weirder one who I thought would have been up there in that level of, of off-course money that is just you know extraordinary, but clearly not as much as he was offered. So are we going to see Rory go to live? Yeah. That's what everyone's sort of thinking, aren't they? I think we're all a bit too scared to say that because oh, no, we're, makes, only, we're only talking. Like yeah. it's just, just a, yeah. In terms of you, it, just, might, it just seemed, like it seemed amazing that he came out and made that statement. Mm. It seemed amazing. So you know, when when someone's putting a lot of money in front of you, you never know. Mm. You never know. So, but it's a, it's it's not only the money, is it? it, it it's the the freedom that live offers, as opposed to the PGA Tour. You don't have to, you know. There's, it, it's a complicated point I've made there. There's a lot of different veins of that coming off that point uh, in terms of you know you can play wherever you like when you like, but you have to play 14 events. You got to play those live events. You can't play everywhere you want because they won't let you. You can play in Asia. I you can play in your own country. You know, the, Dean Burmester did this and won twice on the Sunshine Tour well, in South well, Africa. Louis won, the, Louis, well, Louis won twice. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes. No, and, and Dean yeah, as Okay, well. they both won. And Neiman won the Australian Open. The Australian Open, Open yep, and all the Aussies came back and so played. So it does, it, it, it does, Paul McGinley... So how does Neiman get, a, get to play in the Australian Open being a DP World Tour event? It's not run by the DP World Tour. It's just co-sanctioned. Is that how it works? Well, clearly our, our players, Cam Smith, Adam Scott, Obviously, Australian, it's an Australasian tour event as well. It is co-sanctioned with mm. the DP World Tour, but there's enough pull there for us to, in Australia, to say that, especially our domestic players playing. Yeah, but the Neiman thing, I suspect it's because it's not a, it, it, like it's co-sanctioned by DP World Tour, but it's mm. not actually a DP World Tour run and owned event. Mm. It's an Australasian PGA Tour event, and yeah. I think that's the... And they came back for world ranking points as well. Of course, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly why they came. Yeah. yeah, it does prove one thing, Paul McGinley... The Irish analyst who works on with Reynolds Chambly and the majors, he talked about the fact that the, this type of golf, they won't become sharp playing this type of live format. But they all have stayed pretty sharp. When you're good, you're good. Yeah, that can be refuted with, with two words, Brooks Kepka. This is a while into it now, and these guys are still winning tournaments around the world. So mm. clearly, majors. they're just good players. They can play and they can compete, even if they're not having the rigours of that week-to-week competition, as they say, on a, on a main tour. So that, for me, was interesting. I felt how good they but, still are. Yeah, but, but you've been to a bucket load of live events. I've mm. only been to the one in Adelaide. I saw competitiveness there that was equal to any PGA Tour event, any European Tour event, any Australian Tour event. It was full on. They wanted to win. Yeah, I, I know, think- I know, you know. If they didn't win, they were going to get some nice money, but they wanted to beat each other up badly. I mean, it, it was just like... Any other event, wasn't well, it? You, Even though it was three rounds? Well, you see, the, the, these guys that are the best players in the world, they've navigated their way there. We, we look at their ball striking and their skill level, the way they play the game, but they're fundamentally there because they're ultra, ultra competitive. If you see the way they play in a practice round when mm. they're playing for 15 mm. bucks and how hard they're grinding and yeah. how annoyed they get yep. if they don't win that, 
so they they compete even just in a nine hole money game. Mm, mm. So that's that's something that they just have in themselves. And I, I saw Kepka at Adelaide in the practice round. I followed that group the whole back nine, and it was extraordinary because there was no one there. There wasn't open gates for like like an Australian Open or PGA where practice rounds and prams you can just go. You couldn't. I think the prams might have been might have been open, but the, mm. the, the practice rounds was, was only pretty well media there. And it was so I'm walking down the fairway as far as close as I am to you to, from Brooks Kepka and and Co-Crack and Wolf and 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 Young Chase Kepka and just thinking this is just I, you can't imagine this. You know me being in this position where I can just walk. You know I can walk inside the fairways, but not that close with no one there, not a soul. But I was watching Brooks spend it. Oh, I would say somebody like 10, 15 minutes on every green and chipping bunker play, putting from every aspect and no less than he would have done uh, at, a, at a US PGA Championship in, in, in practice. Yeah. And it was just the same. Yeah. I mean, the music, it's a completely different experience for us as fans and media, but it was still tough competitiveness. And, and um, in these, I think the suggestion from like people like Brandall Shambly, who's hated this thing since the beginning and is finding reasons to, to back up his hatred for it, they're going to have to just shut up and, and, and watch and go to a live event and just see for themselves how, how good they play. Yeah, yeah. Look, ultimately, it's, it's golf. And they're the best players in the world playing golf. And from an entertainment point of view and an interest point of view, it's still there. Ram... There's been amazing, obviously, injection in mm, the interest in that. Extraordinary. Moving forward and his reasons for going. And then hopefully we'll pick up another couple of marquee players, obviously, yet to be announced. They better do it pretty soon. <laughs> They're on the tee. I can hear the starter. And you never know. Max on the tee. Maybe that's their plan. Maybe that's their plan yeah. is to is to have a big announcement like yep. the day before yep. Yep. and have a big sort of gala dinner. It works in the with, the, with, the, with the brand, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, there's, there's definitely a strategy to hang out this long for sure. When we say the word strategy like you've just done, the strategy of paying a billion dollars to Ram at this point in negotiations with PIF and PGA Tour, your thoughts on that in terms of... Why did they do it at this point when How they're still they negotiating? Pay? Oh, well, it's it's five hundred million, so, it's, the, so it's a billion Australian or something, isn't it? Nine hundred million Australian or something? You know, it's it's varying between half a billion and a billion, isn't it? Yeah, you wonder how they're going to get that back. But the point is, why? Why then? Why? Why at that point, just before December thirty-one, when negotiations are going to be hopefully finalised with the the SSG, the American corporate group who are coming into the PGA Tour and live, and then suddenly, I thought it was a written agreement with Live and Monaghan, with the governor of the PIF fund and the commissioner of the PGA Tour, that Live wouldn't poach any more players until the end of the negotiations, and poach as in offer. Here we go, just before the announcements are theoretically supposed to be made, and Rahm's now being paid all this money to go away from the PGA Tour and get on Live. So why? Why? What's, mm. What is that? I don't think they'll know. Like it devalues their product, obviously the PGA Tour, any potential sponsors or any potential investors coming in, losing Rahm. It's got to be a, big hit. a business decision based on the future of the merger between the PIF and the PGA Tour. Surely that is a big reason why. I mean, it devalues the PGA Tour and it increases value of live. So, you know, if you're a businessman, I'm not. No, nor am I. That's why we're here talking golf. And we should stay talking about golf, guys. Exactly. Backspin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter.
We mentioned Anthony Chote earlier in the intro. Gary, a lot of listeners will be thinking Anthony Chote doesn't quite ring a lot of bells, but we know Anthony well. He's a terrific bloke. He's just won the Blitz tournament in Melbourne, which is a, a condensed format of the game. Uh, incredibly in, in condensed, actually. It's, they're calling it Golf's T20. He's won that. It's his biggest win, but the journey to get to where he is, we're really interested to hear. We have Anthony on the line. G'day, Anthony. How are you going? G'day, Ann. How are you, mate? Very good. Your story is fascinating, and, and we love hearing stories like this. It's, it's a classic went through the apprenticeship, which Gary and I both did, and they're still doing apprenticeships these days, I believe. A little bit differently, Gaz, to what you and I went through. But you've played domestically, you've played pro-ams all across the country, country pro-ams, and you've just recently won the Blitz tournament in Melbourne, and congratulations on that, mate. So before we get to that, where do we start with you, Anthony? Your apprenticeship, maybe, with the great Ron Wood from uh, South Australia. That's right, yes. I um, did my apprenticeship 2001, 2 and 3 with him. It was really, really good. Learned a lot about golf and but. I don't know, it's funny, I started the apprenticeship thinking that I wanted to sort of work in the industry, but I think after the playing trials, before I even started, I met a guy called Luke Allschwager who um, owns a golf course in Queensland and he, he had just come off playing, I'd never played and I mean after playing 36 holes with him, he sort of inspired me to want to play again and I think to be honest, I've always wanted to since I was about 14. So what age were you when you were making that decision? 23 or right. 24, okay. something like that. Okay. Yeah. That's a little later than most would start their apprenticeship, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I um, I finished school um, in 95. That's a relief. I, um, <laughs> 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 yeah, I tried to play out of school, but I think I lasted six months of trying to play. I had no direction, no coach. The guy at my local club beat me every single time we played. We played off plus something. And then I was just like, oh, this is not working, and I got a job. So, But I always wanted to play. But, yeah, I was um, I had no direction, and I think looking back, I don't know, I just probably wasn't mature enough already to sort of take on what it takes. And I think back then the programs were a little bit different. So, yeah, I don't know. The guys who came, sort of Nigel Spence was around. He played around a bit, and who else was around at the time? There's a few guys that went on with it, but not many from South Australia mm, in that time, mm. to be honest. I think apprenticeships... Like you said there, you weren't really intending to be a full tour player. You were more looking at just being in the industry, weren't you? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, um, so what role would that have been, a coach or a, or a club professional? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I was assembling golf equipment okay. um, in Adelaide because um, in those days there was a rubber factory and Bridgestone used to yeah. send their components down there. So um, I was assembling gear for them. And then one day I just decided I would – Asked Ron, who was a family friend, actually, whether you know he'd take me on as an apprentice, and he did. So I, I found it challenging, but yeah, it was great. It was really, really good. Just a bit of background on Ronnie Wood there for the listeners. Ron Wood, uh, he's an old friend of mine. In fact, I think I hope he's older than me because he always looked it. He was a very, very fine player, pretty much always a club professional. But he, there was a time when he was that good. He ran third in the Australian Open behind, get this field, uh, Greg Norman, winner. Sandy Lyle second, and tied for third, the great South African Mark McNulty and Ron Wood. So Ron could seriously play his pill. He was a he was a wonderful player. He was, and he won a, a South Australian Open, which um, got taken off him. Um, I was actually there as a kid on the 11th hole at Thackstead Park. He, he hit it in a hazard on the oh. 11th, and then instead of just dropping it on the path, marking it, and then dropping it off the path, he actually just skipped that first drop. No. and. Uh, Someone reported him as taking an incorrect drop. Oh, so he wow. actually he actually hit the shot from where he was going to hit it anyway, but he he missed the step of dropping on yeah, the path first. He got disqualified, so, but he won the tournament. 
So wow, that, that's um, bizarre. You know, because I, I remember. This, this, I'm sorry if I if, if I'm. It's getting back to me again. Like our interviews usually do, Gaston. What's all about you, uh, Anthony? I was playing the group behind him, and I think it was the Queens. That no, was the, the Western Australian Open at Jundalup. It was the first time we'd all seen Jundalup, and it was the most frightening experience I've ever. It was like it was like the Exorcist on a golf course. <laughs> like it was, you know, our heads were spinning. And Ron, there's a par three. I think it's about the. I think it would have been our thirteenth or something. And there's a, it's a sheer cliff face, a limestone quarry cliff face, par three. It's about an eight or a nine iron. And there was a bunker like a shelf down, like a sheer, maybe five six foot down. And in the face of that was this um, weedy stuff. They have some sort of name for it over there. And we Ron hit. We were waiting on the turn. Ron hit his shot, and it went straight into this weed. And then he went and they're shuffling around, shuffling around, and, and then and he, he, he finds it, and then he hits it, and two balls fly out, out onto the green. And oh, okay. it was, I've never seen anything like this. And Ron just spun around and, and, and swore something at, at us back on the tee. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> do I do now? And we, I think we scream back, well, first step one, uh, work out which one's yours, and then two, get a rules official. So yeah, always, always in the in the in the middle of a, a, a rules debacle, poor old Ron. But sorry, Anthony, that was my little. I won't talk about me anymore. You go ahead, mate. No, no. In fact, Gary's right. got a question no. for you. So, mate, when, right. when you finish your apprenticeship, did you just that same path that most of the guys take that want to play? You just started playing pro ams and then navigated your way to Q schools, and you know, you've obviously you ended up playing in Asia some point. In, yeah, unfortunately, in- it sort of wasn't that clean cut. I finished my um, traineeship, and I, I was I was actually married at the time, and um, so I I was working, and I wanted to play, but I was sort of working because I had the family, and um, but then it just got too much, and I decided, well, I'm going to play. So my wife and I sort of come up with a bit of a plan, and so I went off to Queensland, and I played. Uh, this was in 2004, like the Tropo Tour, and I was doing like. Okay, but um, unfortunately, it was a bit hard for her with the at home. So she said, basically, um, come back or or don't bother. Or don't so don't come went, at all. Yeah. Don't come at all. So I went back and I um, took an assistant pro job at the Grange in South Australia, and I worked there from two thousand and four to two thousand and eight. Um, and I went to I went to Asian Q School, I think, in two thousand and eight, and then shortly after that, Korean Q School. And then she said to me, she said, are you done? And I said, no, nah, not at all. I'm getting started. So she said, all right, we're done. And then with that, I think I had another year off and I went and got my card in India. I played in India for five years. So that was sort of the start of it. I, I sort of played golf in Asia from 2009 through to 2016. When you say you played in India for five years, it, these are tours. Yeah, well, these are yeah. tours that the, the listeners definitely don't know about this sort of stuff. Yeah, so... Um, there was a there was a tour in India before that, and it was quite corrupt. And there was a Indian billionaire called Gotham Tupper from London, and he and um, there was a good Asian tour player, RJ Gupta, and they sort of got together and like, we got to do a better job of this. And um, Gotham said, like, I'm happy to be a part of it, but it's got to be transparent. It's got to be you know well run. And so I think it was in 2006 it started. Um, there was some Aussies there before me, but. I joined in 2009, and the tour is still running to this day. So I played 22 events in 2009, 22 four-rounders. Wow, um, in India. Yeah, kept my card, won Rookie of the Year. Wow. Went to some fancy ceremony, got presented my huge big cardboard check with 
by a star Indian tennis player who his name has left me. But yeah, it was it was a it was a it was an amazing year. It changed my life. Um, just sort of gave me some confidence because I think. I was always told as a young player, like, don't play the Pro-Am, but it was always by guys who couldn't play. And for some reason, I just took it on board. And the reality was I didn't have to go off to India to get good. Like, they were like, I think I came, like, I think when I was playing in 04, Stephen Bowditch was winning. Oh, okay. Pro-Ams in Queensland, and he went on to win PGA Tour events. He did, so, yeah, Texas. Yeah, so, um, yeah, no, I just did it a little bit differently and then came back and, um, actually tried to get out of golf in 2016. Uh, worked with a cousin um, back in Adelaide, but then just started to miss it and then applied for a um, director of golf role in Sydney, which I got. And I was sort of excited about maybe the business side or having targets or having something to fulfill, mm. I guess, that competitive or... And still married what? Just the same to the same lady no, at this point? Oh, no, sorry, no, sorry. no, that, that finished years oh, ago. Okay. And then basically the interview was hilarious because I, here I was like trying to get a job and get out of golf and they're saying, but you do play golf, right? I said, yeah, like it's all I've done forever. And they're like, oh, well, you know, it's sort of important to us that, you know, you play. And at the time I wasn't playing and I was like, gosh, so sort of get in the cart and I'd just go and play hole. And I sort of, my back wasn't great at the time. So I was also seeing a, like a Pilates instructor in Bondi and sort of working pretty hard on my body. And it was only... A, couple months later that I won the Aspis Pro-Am and I was like, oh, this is all right. And then then the Australian Club Pro, I qualified for that and then I finished third at Hamilton Island. Uh, so you get this, this, this of, is getting the itch again. You're getting, you're just... Yeah. Then I qualified for the Australian Open in 2018, finished 68, tied 68. And then the next year, um, 2019, I qualified again and at the Aussie actually. And I, um, Adam Scott missed the cut. And I finished tied 68th again. But it was the first time I actually got a reality check in my whole golf life. I'm like, I don't hit it good enough. Like, I just don't hit the ball good enough to be out here. But yet, the whole time, I thought, geez, I hit it amazing. And then I got a good friend, Paul Spargo, who was a golf pro, or still is a golf pro. And he was actually um, Ron Wood's stepson. And we've been mates since we were kids. And he said, oh, we'll go see Gary Barter. He's the best coach in Australia. And so it was with that I went to saw Gaz. We've, you know, we've worked together since pretty much not long after that Australian Open, I think. Yeah, Spargo was a pretty good player too, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah I like I liked the time with him. He was very articulate. He he definitely had a bit of a rooster, large, wasn't he? Very, very fit guy. Yeah, yeah that's right. Like he, he, Anthony, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, he nearly knocked off the Australian Masters, I didn't think, he? Yeah, I reckon, yeah, I, reckon he, I commentated. Uh, he, led, he probably led for, I don't know, maybe 67 holes from start to finish and then I think Nick Cohen hit an amazing bunk shot. No, he didn't play bad on the that last That was a Metro. Day. Yes, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, I did. I was at that time. Yeah. When Paul came up, he his knowledge on the golf swing was really good, like really, really good. But it's like a lot of a lot of players, and it's like coaching as well. There's a point where if you dabble too much, it can get confusing. And I remember with Paul, like he really had a good idea of multiple, multiple aspects of golf, sequencing, swing, impact conditions, but he just wasn't quite clear on how to match it all up. And that's that's the battle for all of us, isn't it? I think his shirts were too tight. I think that was his big big drawback. Oh, mate, he looked like a triathlete. He did. 
No, it was unbelievable. It was yeah. Like, He's like he was diving into a swimming pool. All he yeah. had was a rubber hat on. But he look, he was honest as well. Like Paul said, what you said as well. He and he he played a lot of big championships, Paul, and he's obviously a great player. And he said to me, he said, "Look, I just want to hit it better." You know, he said, "My my ability to chip, putt, grind, compete," and he's a great competitor, wasn't he? And Absolutely. still, and still is. Like it's not like we've given up on him. He's a, <laughs> you know, he. I'm sure. I'm sure he's got the same desire as you to keep grinding, keep going. It's funny, for such a fit guy, this is what I said to him, I said, you're the fittest bloke I've ever seen who's just constantly injured. So I don't know what yeah. it is. But, and it was funny, Tim Hart was an extremely fit guy and he gets injured a bit well, It was like, well, Shane, so like Shane Watson with, with the Australian cricket team. He looked like Adonis, but he was, mm. he was always breaking down. Yeah, so it is, it's an interest. It's such, I don't know, that's what makes golf so amazing. Like, you know, you just, I don't know. It's such a great journey and... So, um, and, what are the, and what are the goals for you now? Like you've had, you've had that win. You've had a break. Where are you now, actually? After this, I mean, yeah. What is what is your position? We've got the Heritage Classic. So it's the middle of the twenty three twenty four Australasian Tour season, and I think I've played ten events so far. I believe I've got seven to go, or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's pretty much the middle of the season. Um, so yeah, we start tomorrow at Heritage Country Club for the Heritage Classic, which is the first time it's been back. Uh, some time, I believe. You've got a stretch coming up too, like in Australia as yeah, well. Yeah, we I've actually got six in, weeks in a row. So I've got uh, Heritage Classic, um, the TPS Murray, which is at Cobram. We come back to Rosebud for the TPS Jeff Ogilvie's event. Then we go across to 13th Beach for the Vic Open, up to Sydney for the TPS um, Sydney, which is at Castle Hill Country Club this year, and then into the Hunter Valley back at Cypress Lake. So that's, I think, six weeks in a row. Then we have a week off, the New Zealand Open, and then I think another week off, and then the National to end the season, the 23-24 season. And you'll drive most places, won't you? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll Obviously not to New Zealand. I'll drive to New Zealand. No, no <laughs> Yeah, I'll drive. Um, <laughs> I would if I could, probably. But um, <laughs> I was in Adelaide for Christmas to see Mum and Dad, and then I drove down to Melbourne, and, yeah, I'll drive my... Um, my car's a classic. I, I think I it? got it in 2018, and I've put over 200,000 kilometres on it. That's um, not driving bad. around Australia playing events. What what sort of car is it? It's a Toyota Orion. Toyota. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't beat them. Cannot em. kill them with an axe. Can't beat them. Yeah, Toyota. That could be our next sponsor. Well, and, and, and well, also, I think we could be calling Anthony Chay Toyota in a certain way, couldn't we? Just can't kill him with an axe. Just, can, just keeps coming him. back. You cannot kill him. <laughs> can't kill him with a lot. No, he loves golf. He loves golf. So, number one, you've got to love the battle and the journey. And you you love the game, don't you? Yeah. It's, you know, I, I, it's funny. Like, I, you know, I've seen you guys coach lots of people. And, you know, I've seen you in different but obviously, if, anyone I've seen with Adam Scott or whoever you're with at the time, and it's funny, I, a few times when we've been together, you just stop and pause. And you know what I like about you? I love, like, your desire and your passion. And I, and I think, like, that resonates well with me because I know without it, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing. Like, I just, I will move mountains in a way to try and make it happen. And, every, like, I get told I'm crazy all the time, what are you doing, blah, 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 but... Fortunately, my skin's a lot thicker than it used to be. <laughs> yeah, it has to be, Anthony, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, 
you know, like there's no logical reason why you'd try and do what I'm doing. But what's one of the most yeah. obscure places you've played in, like in Australia? Like, have you in driven Australia? to Perth? Have you driven? To, you haven't driven to Perth. Yeah, have you, have you um, driven to Perth. The funniest one in Australia, I'm going to have to say, was Newman, 2011. I was playing in India, but there was a break, so I was back in Australia, and I hadn't really played in Australia for a while, and so the series was on in W in Western Australia. So we actually flew from Perth, to, I think it was to Newman, and then. It's just the whole ground's just rock. So you walk into the shed and you get a rock club for the pro am. So it's a two day pro am and you get this this rock club. So a golf club that you use when you're up against a rock or something. Well, the whole golf course is rocks other than the fairway. So (laughs) they've got like uh, irrigation is just one of those circular sprinklers. Sprinklers, but the fairways are just circles. Um, and then, yeah, so if you miss the circles, you're out in rock. So you get the rock club out, you just hack it back into play. So what um, number? Was it like a seven iron or something? Or a- yeah, I gra- you grab whatever you want. Well, it starts off as a seven iron. Yeah, I think I, I think I grabbed a seven iron. <laughs> yeah, but, by the time um, you get to the other end, it's a three iron. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was eye-opening. And then probably the best, the best place, which will always stand in my memory, is a place in East India. Um, it's in a Sam at the a very um, political area because they actually want to be a country of their own. Um, so it's just dangerous. So we had, like, flying to the airport. We had an army escort um, to the to the compound where all the other army officers stay. And then the golf course is just across the road. And it's like, it's just jungle. And there's you get on the course and there's these huge metal poles surrounding the green. What's that for? And it's... To stop the wild elephant from walking on the green what? and damaging the green. <laughs> so it's like a fence around the green? No, it's like big, like, you know when you see... Like, you don't climb uh, this thing when an elephant comes towards you. Yeah, like, you know when you, you see, like, on the, in any of the streets, they put those metal poles to stop cars, like, yep. you know... Oh, racing. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it looks like that surrounding the green. <laughs> no, that's it. That's, yeah, yeah, that's one. Yeah, poles to stop the elephants getting on the green. Yeah, no, I've heard of sheep, keeping sheep off the greens. I think it must have been in New Zealand or somewhere we had little weird-looking fences around the greens there. Have you, did you ever play... No. ...programs in New Zealand? No, no, I... I never did you only play programs, guys? Yeah, you? I did. I played a lot. You played one of you. No, well... Yeah, not 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 many. Not, how many have you won, Anthony? Not that many either. Like I, I think I haven't really, to be honest, for an older guy, I haven't played as many as some other. No, I'd be okay. catching though. I think I played possibly this season. I could have played more than anyone else, but maybe or last season. But anyway, what about some yeah. of the guys you play? You, some of the some of the guys and girls you draw in prams, particularly in, in I don't know what about India, but I never played I never played prams in India. But in Australia, the, some of the country guys you drew they were classics, weren't they? Absolutely. I'll tell you my little quick story. And again, back to me. Sorry, Ant. And then you <laughs> no. can come back and, and, and top it. I played golf. And, well, it wasn't actually a country program. It was um, yep. Barnwell Park. Yep, Park. And I'm playing with this old bloke called Laurie McGinty, who was an ex-pug. And, and he had one of those noses that just looked like it had been you know, changed about five times during his career. He's pretty good, apparently. Little bloke. And he introduced himself as, yeah, I'm, I'm Laurie. Uh, I'm an ex-pug. And um, don't know, I'm not a great golfer, but I'm really looking forward to playing with you. I've heard about you. I thought, oh, Jesus, what have you, what, where have you heard that? Anyway, I birded the first six holes in a row and Laurie is just beside himself he's jumping around bouncing throwing punches in the air he's right in there with me and, and we get to about the, the seventh or eighth and I'm still crazy amount of under we go down the fairway hit a nice drive down towards the, the edge of the water thing there, and, and we're walking down I said Laurie where's yours and he, and he says oh I can't say the word on air 
I forgot to hit the bastard. It's in his pocket. <laughs> he had to go back and hit it. Oh, he's that excited. Laurie, yeah, he was that excited. And anyway, I bogged the next four holes and, and, and ran second to Wally Godfrey or somebody to end that, that sad story. But, Anthony, you must have come across someone like that. Yeah, uh, pro-ams, I mean... The local butcher no. called, called Chops oh. or something? or Sorry? The local butcher called Chops or the dentist used to call Fang and in the country? Yeah, I mean, look, to be honest, like, um, the country pro-ams... People are, I think they're honestly like grateful that you're there and I think they get quite excited. So, I mean, it's just such an experience. I mean, it can be, you can have the worst day in the world or you can just have a great day. And it, it literally, for me, it's driven a lot by who you're playing with. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, I can't specifically remember any one story about a pro am, but that story you just told me reminds me of um, three doctors who used to play on a Tuesday at Glenelg when I was trainee. They were notorious for different things, but this one particular day, they come into the pro shop and they said to Ron, oh, Ron, have you ever seen, um, like, with golfers, like these, you know, blue, dark blue veins on, on, on your hands? Like, you know, we're, we're, we're doctors and we, um, we've, we've never seen anything like it. And Ron's looking at the guy's hand and goes, oh, no, you know. So this, this was going on for a couple of weeks and, and then... I don't know when they realised that that the guy who was having the issue had a blue glove and yeah. was to die <laughs> from this sweat on his veins. So, I mean... That, and these are three doctors. Three doctors. And yeah. they're going to save someone's life or make it make it a, a life-saving decision based on a, on, the, on a blue vein on the back of their hand. <laughs> You've only got months to live, mate, unless you change that glove. Well, luckily they were retired. So. Yeah, oh, thank <laughs> God. They're in the yeah. right place. Quickly, just tell us about the, the Blitz, mate, and um, briefly how it works. And, and, and again, congratulations on your victory. Just give us a, a, a two-minute review of that week for you. Yeah, okay. So um, it's just marketed as the T20 of, um, of golf. Yep. So 24 players, six holes, cut. You play to six holes, it's cut to 12 players. Is it match play? Um, no, no, stroke play. Right, okay. Stroke play then, so you've got 12 guys left, you play three holes, that's cut to four players, and then four players and go and play one hole. So, Oh, right. Yeah, it's quick, and it's exciting. You know, they have the music going, yep. they have, like, you know, unfortunately on um, Sunday it was raining, so there wasn't a lot of people out there, yep. probably 50 people or so, not a great deal, but it was a good little setting at Eastern Golf Club in the Arrow Valley, and, and then, yeah, so just... Then the last four play one hole, so it was like a stadium hole setup. Who was in that hole with you? Matt Griffin, Tim Hart, and Jay McKenzie. Oh, good players. Uh, yeah, so lucky enough, three of us birdied the first time round, and Jay got knocked out. And then I was lucky enough to birdie it the second time round, and the others didn't. So yeah, it was great. Is that the biggest victory? Biggest victory. I won the Leeton Pro Am, which was a two day event. Probably is actually. Well, you got the best photos out of it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. The like it, look, it looks, it looks like when you look at the website, you've you've won the PGA or something, doesn't it? It's great, isn't it? Yeah, the trophy's awesome. It's Absolutely. a beauty. Congratulations, Anthony. Thank you so much for having a chat with us. Very enlightening, very insightful. These are the sort of stories that we Gary and I love hearing about. Well, we're just wanting to knock off one of these next. Yeah, let's events. let's get serious, mate. Yeah, yeah. got a big yeah, schedule absolutely. coming up. That's yeah. the goal. Good on you. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for being Thanks, on. Thanks, mate. Thank you, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks to Inside Golf, this is Backspin. 
As we said earlier, Gaz, Jeffrey Guan, we've had him on the show before. I think Australia knows how good this kid is. We certainly do. He's just turned professional. He's played the Australian Open, the Australian PGA. He's on the line. Jeffrey Guan, welcome back to Backspin. You were on a few months ago, Jeffrey, and we were intrigued to see what the future held for you, and you've since turned professional. Tell us a bit about that experience. It's only, it's only young. It's only a few tournaments old, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Um, I've played a couple of tournaments so far. But the decision was made after the Asia-Pacific amateur, and I felt like my game was ready enough alongside with all the help and support I received from, obviously, Gary and a lot of the other foundation sort of built built my game to the, the level I, I thought was good enough, and ever since then I've been so good so far. That's still a dad and son team? Is that is that the way looking forward? There is a little bit of that. I mean, it's obviously still there, but the team's obviously increased as time went on, and I think it's been pretty solid so far. So no management, no agents? No, not at all. Any any future for plan for that? Quite possibly. I do have an Asian Tour final stage coming up in, next week. And I think uh, whether or not I get my card, that depends on uh, the management company. If I do get my card on, on the Asian Tour, then obviously um, I'm not going to sign with anyone. But if I don't, then I will be looking around to see yeah. what... what the best and it's 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 interesting, you know, going to Q school. Uh, Nick Hardy, who plays the PGA Tour, he came out of college with the can't miss sort of record. And when he first came out, he missed his PGA Tour card, Corn Ferry Tour card, and he said, you know, all everyone around him, like his his management company, his family, his friends, were like sort of like devastated, as in, you know, what's happened. You know what's happened, and, and and Nick said to me, he said, "Look, it's it's one week, and that wasn't going to define me as a golfer. I knew that quality golf would win out. You know, I knew I was a good enough player." And he said, "You know, fortunately, unfortunately, I had to go and play, you know, mini tour events around America and wait around." But he said, "Good golf wins out anyway," and he said that was never going to hold me back. Just that one week, and that that conversation I had with Nick is really on the back of a lot of players that come through and go to Q schools, it's a big week for them and it's an important week. But he he said, look, ultimately, Gary, if you're a good player, you'll get there anyway. What's your feeling going to Asian Q school next week? Is it just another tournament for you? Is it something that's important? To what degree? What's your mindset going into that? Well, I think it is going to be important. I think every player that walks into that week would definitely think they want their card. Yeah, I think it's, it's just a good week where you need to be on your game. It's going to be tough, but I think half the battle is just mental. And then, obviously, you play well, you you get rewarded with the rest of the year, like, starts and everywhere around Asia. But I, I think, for, for me, it's just a good experience to have. Obviously, qualifying school, I've, it'll be the first time I've played a qualifying stage. I, I think I'm really looking forward to it, and whether or not I make it or not, I, I think it's still pretty big stepping stone for me to sort of experience what it's like. It's good coming into it off the back of the the way you started as a pro and finished the season. The results from an amateur turning pro, it's uh, you go from a little school into a big school, and the two big events, the Australian Open, the Australian PGA, you played very, very well. Uh, you, you, you know, you might feel you could have done better, but as a as a starting point, those results, I'm. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but were they like, I think they were 19th, 20, 20 something in the Aussie Open? Yeah. And then 
finishing off with the Cathedral Invitational, second to Scotty. Even though it's a very boutique tournament, there's some seriously good names playing that event, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Uh, I mean, those three weeks really um, gave me a lot of confidence. In saying that, like Gary has helped me a lot with um, my game, and and like I, it was just good to see some results sort of sort of come in. I wasn't really expecting it, but. Um, for it to come, it was just a bonus. Interesting, when we spoke to you last time, Jeffrey, the overriding um, picture I got, image of, of you as a person and as a player was measured. Incredible talent, but measured. Um, and in that, I mean, there were steps you were taking. You, you weren't going to jump any steps in your career. And it seems like those two finishes, the Australian Open and, and the Australian PGA, now you're playing for money. And, and, and I imagine that's a totally different way to, to address you know, a round of golf and a, and, a, and, a, and a potential birdie or, a, or take a pin on that might cost you 10K if it doesn't come off. The, the mindset for those two tournaments, um, and I'm jumping questions here a little bit because I want to go back to that measured way that you, you think and you and your dad. The two tournaments, um, tell us about the experience in the Australian Open, Australian PGA, because it, again, like I said, you're playing for money, not cups. So it does matter if that if you do have a double, it, it, as it doesn't in an amateur event, because you can just tee up the following day in another event. Was your mindset any different? Was it still the same measure, Jeffrey Guan, or was it, geez, you know, I, I'm, I'm a chance of you know coming top five in this. What do I do? Was it a case of that? A little bit. I, I always have that mentality of trying to win a tournament where it uh, doesn't matter where I am um, as long as I'm playing in it. it. It was just very similar to every other week. I had, didn't really change my mindset at all. Just played my own game and didn't worry too much, especially at, around the Aussie, my home track. I think I know it pretty much off the back of my hand. Just played how I normally would play on like a Wednesday comp or a Saturday comp. Did you notice the, the setup for the tournament, being like a member there, did you notice that it was a little different, a little more challenging, or was it pretty basically pretty similar to how you would see it set up? It was probably one of the best conditions I've ever seen the Aussie in. And I've been a member since 2017, so it definitely played a little bit different. Like around the green, they they must have rolled rolled the grass the other way. Like it, it was just a little bit different here and there, and then some pins I sort of haven't seen before. But other than that, it, it still played how the other would normally play. Maybe not as as firm as it could be, but in, in the end, it was still. Really well. 73 in the last round I saw at the Australian Open there. Jeffrey, was that disappointing? A little bit. Like, obviously, I wanted to have a chance at a crack at uh, finishing top three. And, mm. But it was still a good week. I enjoyed it. Had heaps of family and members coming out to support. And mm. Pretty grateful for that. Who's the best player you played with since turning pro, like best pro? Who's the one that impressed you the most, who, who you were drawn with? I haven't had the chance to play with many pros so far. But I have seen so many um, on the range or even on the putting green and seeing how they do their drills and how they practice is, just fascinates me a little bit. And to learn from them was probably probably the most I took out of it in those past couple of weeks. Any particular things that did fascinate you? Like it was there a, with the, the amount of time they spent on something or putting or different drills you might have picked up? Yeah, I saw Cam at, at the Aussie practicing a lot on his putting. He obviously had a had a tea time, which is probably like an hour, an hour and a half past me. And I sort of um, sat down, had lunch, and then decided to have a little bit of practice in. But as soon as he finished, he was still on the putting green until, until like it was dark. I think that sort of reflects of how how good his game is and where he gets that from, just from practicing heaps and 
obviously trying to build his game up to that, that top level. Learning from that would definitely help. Just getting back to that agent uh, management point I made earlier, you mentioned there that um, there's no way you'll miss the Asian Tour School, you'll get through there, but it, you, you said if you didn't, then you might be looking in direction of a management or an agent. Is that because you wouldn't, you'd have to rely on them to get your starts? Is that how it works? Yeah, that's pretty much it at the moment. I'm sort of just letting the, the team um, help me all the offers and stuff and I just worry about my own game yeah fair moment. enough okay you've put that one to bed now. <laughs> thanks mate <laughs> not, not that I have the money to manage you but I, I, I know people that probably would, would love to But anyway. so how's the practice been going the last like just getting ready for Q school is it just normal just general surveillance uh, of your game is it just a normal normal routine like your game is obviously in good shape you don't have any weaknesses you've definitely stepped up I think in the last two or three months like the quality of each part of your game Anything you're focusing on or just doing what you normally do? I think I've done a lot more work on TrackMan and the quad these past couple of days a week. Just get all those numbers sorted and changing all the temperatures and all the humidity that you could do on, on like a on the screen. So sort of just testing out everything and make sure everything's in shape before before I head into the tournament. Yeah, so obviously over there, just the humidity, the the temperature, that's going to be a different factor thrown in. What country is it? Uh, Thailand. Oh, yeah, Thailand. I caddied for Matt in Thailand oh, last you're year. you're kidding, did you? Yeah, Matt's caddy pulled out the day before because he had a torn retina, and then I had to carry Matt's bag, and it just was just... Two a bag. It was incredible. Oh. No, 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 we, went, we got a little bag, but there were two caddies <laughs> pulled out that event. Had to be on a drip. Yeah. Like, it was that hot. It was unbelievable. It God, was, and you're 73 years old, guys. No, I mean, no, I'm 74, 74. 74, yeah. yeah well, back yeah. then you were, you were 73 <laughs> before, before your birthday. <laughs> Bloody hell. No, but it is hot. You, have you played there before? I did. I played the Asia Pack there last year. Yeah. Thank God. Was it hot? Yeah, very. It's bru- It's it's it it's not brutal. real, is it? It's not real. <laughs> no, no. No, it's not real. It's not real. <laughs> I've played there. I've no, it's it like you feel like you're Clint Eastwood in one of those westerns, <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you just sort of no, and you just you're aimlessly walking around in circles, like Matty Garrett's this way, it's this way, the hole's this way, and you start you start seeing water, you know, because the fairways <laughs> flatten out, and it, yeah, you you like see the mirage. It's unbelievable. <laughs> And you walk- Sounds like you did a hell of a job. How did Matt go? Yeah, he had a good finish. He was 15th. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He could have won it by four. No. A decent well, county. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I got, and I dropped the putter cover and I have to go back 50 yards. And <laughs> No, it was incredible. So, Jeff, I hope you've got a decent caddy over there, mate. Is you, 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 do, you, do you have a caddy or do you have a permanent caddy? I don't have a permanent one right now, but I am bringing one of the one of my mates over there. Yeah, Who's okay. going? Ollie David. Oh, Ollie's awesome, isn't he? Yeah. He's so good. He's so good. Well, he'll be fit enough. You yeah. Ju- you just got to get him to concentrate. Fine, yeah, yeah, just get him to concentrate. Yeah, just don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good player. He's our right. club champion at the Australian, Nolly. Just keep him steering the right direction. He's our club champion. Oh, is he? He can okay. play golf. Oh, okay. Absolutely. At the Australian. Uh, yeah, he's Ooh, good. Yeah, it's okay. He's good. Yeah, so Paul Paul Davis, Ollie's dad, He's looks after Jeff as well. well. What are the numbers for the Asian Tour school? Like as in field or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Field, how many get through, how many, how many rounds? I think it's about... 230, 240 players right. in the field. Yep. And then there's, a, there's two cuts. Okay. Uh, how many, how many rounds? Five rounds. Five rounds, okay. Yeah, and then I think like top 30, top 35 will get you everything. Right. But you still get conditional status if you get through to the last cut. Okay, okay. That's not, that's not crazy, is it? It's not crazy, no, it's, Yeah, like it's, yeah. it's definitely doable. I suppose at the end of the day, you made that interesting comment about mental, and it's, it's used a lot. You know, you hear a lot of sportsmen yeah. say, 
you know, it's, it's mental out there. How would you define that for you? Is that just keeping your arousal level constant? Is it just going through a routine? Is it just staying in the moment? How would you define that? It just sort of helps me keep calm. Like, obviously, five rounds, that's like 90 holes. And I, I think of it as if I make a bogey or a double, well, I still have 89 more holes yeah. to make a birdie. So cause I cover that up. And, I, yeah, it just gets me a lot more calm. I think my process really more thorough and it just gives me the best opportunity again for the week and do you, do you have any breathing techniques or you just you just internalize how to handle yourself when things aren't going well or things are going uh, well? i think i've played a lot of higher level sort of tournaments and I, i've gotten to experience what it's like to be nervous and how to control that during the week as as time goes by and i, I think i learned a lot from it from the past couple of events like again the aussie Open and PGA, like those two were probably the biggest events I've played so far in my career. There was a couple of party holes where mm. you sort of have to like keep keep yourself calm and make sure you keep your adrenaline sort of low. It's it, it's that it, shot. it is interesting because imagine the players that I've taught over the years have gone to Q schools, and I remember early on Andre Stoltz, who obviously a fantastic player, amazing record, one on the PGA Tour. He didn't have a lot of success at the start of his career when he was a young guy until he went in with the mentality that he wanted to go and win the golf tournament. He said, when I went into a Q school and there was 19 spots and I thought, I've just got to get one of those spots, he said, I'd be looking at that number the whole week and I'd I'd finish 20th or 21st. And he said, when I decided that I went there, it was a golf tournament and I went there to win the golf tournament. He said, I had a lot more success. That was just him. But that's been a common theme. Matt Jones was like that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, who was it? very successful at Q schools. There's definitely yeah. a so mental, money a mental for component. That too. Do, you play for, do you play for money in the, in, the, in the Asian tour school, Jeffrey? I think there is prize money for the first three spots. Right, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah it's an interesting take on it. Yeah, yeah. that's the sort of stuff that, um, that's gold, guys. Oh, mate, it's good. good. Advice, yeah. yeah, it is good Maybe advice. Yeah. That's something you should have done. Yeah, absolutely. Jeffrey, tell us a bit more. Sorry, I'll get, get back off me really quickly. The party hole, mate. The party hole, the PGA. You went through it four times. What was that like? Just tell us what your take on that, and should we continue it? For sure, definitely. I personally love crowds, so that got me riled up for the week. I got was really excited even before the practice round started. I heard there was a party hole in 17, and as I got to it, it, it was just blasting music, testing it all, and it was just awesome. Yeah, okay. and, yeah it's for me to sort of experience that and then also having a, a couple of opportunities to hold my parts is pretty cool. Any uh, negative feedback from anyone you were playing with or in the locker rooms? No, no, everything positive, was pretty was positive. Everyone oh. was talking about the whole. Fair thinking. Well, that's great, isn't it? I mean, that's great for the game, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. It's and, and, it's, and it's that classic case of where they've tried it a few times years and years ago and they tried to shut everyone up before a putt was being hit or a shot or a chip and there was always someone that was a little bit, might have had one or too many beers and it became a bit of an issue. But as soon as they let it go, as in the music and the, and the noise just continues, it doesn't seem to be a problem at all, does it? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, over the years, we've had a lot of great players come through all the names that we know adam scott right through like elkington what i found interesting with jeff and i know we're not here to talk about his his amateur record but jeff's scoring average as an amateur in just wagger events where they're the world they're the world ranking amateur world, events yeah, in the in the big right. big events yep. his scoring average is a shot better than anyone that we've ever Fair had a shot better than cam smith wow so as a as a as a stock you know, if you're looking in, in looking at someone, investing mm. in them and looking at how they're going. But the thing that I've always 
And it's not just me. A lot of people being fascinated with Jeff is just his his demeanour and his maturity. Mm, that's the thing that sticks out for me. No, Khan Pullen, our, our our state high performance manager, you know, coach of Cam Davis. He said to me, "God, this has got to be four or five years ago when we started first talking about Jeff. Was he looked like a forty year old? Yeah, yeah, like mentally, yeah, on the yeah, golf course, yeah, and." That's what was interesting with Jeff for me was the fact that his demeanour, his calmness, and even at the PGA and the Australian Open, Tony, what was Tony's second name, your caddy? Lingard. Yeah, Tony caddied on the PGA Tour for like 20 years. Oh, okay. And he he came in to caddy for two weeks for Jeff, and he couldn't believe how thought-provoking he was, Mm. how mature he was, how... Lower arousal he was, and he was he was stunned how Jeff was mentally, because we've got the physical side, yeah. But yeah. and and Jeff's physical game is really good. That's what I was trying to say. And when I measured, yeah, that yeah. Was, we that was we my... I was interviewed maybe two years ago by Paul Gow when Jeff you played the TPS at Bonnie Doon. Yeah, yeah. And you're in contention to win that event, and the question came about distance, about length off the tee. And that would be the goal moving forward. But clearly now your ball speed is right where it needs to be right now. And you're still yeah, only, still yeah. only quite young. So, And that you had to navigate your way through that too. Because as you know, creating distance, you can get more distance, but you can lose accuracy and dispersion. That's and right, and yeah. probably in the early period, you did. But now, you, now, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, now you've got the integrity of the golf swing and the distance, and you got your accuracy. Like, I thought you drove the ball so well, so accurately, with distance. And that, that that's all holds, you know, all holds you in good stead for the future as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. We have talked about this. What's the word you use for the, for the for the, I call it measured, organised personality, the 40-year-old head on a, on a 20-year-old yeah. body? There can be some bad 40-year-old heads, though. Oh. That's the other problem. She's had a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> so if you In really, every way. Yeah, if you sort of delve deeply into that, it's sometimes it's not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, so. Yeah, I think, yeah, the, the 40-year-old head meaning not, not a say, tarnished yeah, one. It would have been a better conversation. It looked like Craig Parry <laughs> or something like that because he, he was pretty good. We did talk about this last time we spoke to you, Jeffrey, but remind us all again, where does this come from, this ability to be this 40-year-old head on the 20-year-old? old buddy hey, you are 20 uh, aren't you yeah i'm uh, 19 yeah 19 yeah this 40 year old head on a 19 year old body where did this come from jeffrey i think it mostly came from my dad yeah he he taught me well since i was a little kid everything started with uh, a person's behaviors before before anything really so yeah so before i even got into golf and my dad taught me a lot of how to be Sort of like a calm and confident person. Yeah. Are you an only child? No, no I've got a little brother. A little brother, okay. Yeah. yeah. Does he play? He plays soccer. He doesn't play anymore. No. Plays soccer, okay. He's a great kid. Is he? Yeah. He's yeah. a great kid. You've met him all. Yeah. Jeffrey, I think we can let you go now, mate. Thank you so much for being part of the show. Again, backspin. Um, obviously, Gary is a big part of your, of your process uh, moving forward, so he'll keep us in touch with how you're going. And we'd love to get you back on as soon as we can, maybe after the Asian Tour School, we can get you back on. Yeah, that sounds good. If he gets his card. Doesn't matter. Which he will. Yeah, oh, of course he will. Yeah, thanks, Jeffrey. <laughs> thanks for being on Backspin thanks, again guys, for us, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank All you, right. mate. Yeah, thank All you, right. mate. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Inside Golf, this is Backspin. Backspin.
Gary, I was trying to organise myself with our golf club and ball technician fitting expert, Con Fondus at Mount Broughton Golf Club, but I haven't had a chance. Christmas is sort of not, not a, a lovely spanner in the works. I've had some fantastic times, but I haven't really, and I've put on too much weight, so I haven't had the chance, bottom line, but I've since heard there are so many new golf balls coming out for this year, which I haven't had a chance to, to try and compare on Con's equipment. So I'm sorry, listeners, I'm going to have to put that back a little bit longer until I get all the equipment that I need to do a proper review, a Larry review. I'm not sure it's a proper one. I'm also wanting to try some of the new, this Cleveland stuff just has been released. There's Zexio stuff, which is this, under the Strixon brand. There's Callaway stuff. The new Paradigm AI stuff has come out. The drivers, the woods, the irons. It's it's all happening, but I haven't got it with me yet. So as soon as I do, I'll have a bit of a flirt with it and I'll explain to you, tell you my experience with it all. Nice. Well, I'll look forward to that. Yeah. It's, it's been a massive year for new product. TaylorMade's come out with some new stuff too with a beautiful new driver. I love the new gear. Yeah, I'm still, you know, you know, we whinge about the game, and you probably do having to having to go to work every day doing it. But, <laughs> but I still, the first thing I do when I go to, the, I went to the pro shop yesterday. First thing I did was went straight over to the demo display I have on the wall, pulled a couple of clubs, had a bit of a waggle, and I might hit a couple of shots of server. If it gets quiet, might even jump mm. on that practice. T- no, I don't do that, boss. No, I don't do that at all. Yeah, you just got to repair all the dips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right yeah. in front of the pro yeah, shop. It's a yeah. little obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Just in front of the putting green. Yeah, it doesn't look good. I try and keep really shallow, guys. I know you hate that word. <laughs> Feeling hungry for a tasty tip? Here it is. Now, tip of the day. Yes. I think one of the big things when we go and play, obviously we all go to the golf course, warm up, pay for the card, have a couple of putts. doesn't matter what handicap we're on. Uh, We tee off and then the day unfolds. You can get off to a good start, you get off to a bad start. And normally it's hit it, find it, hit it, find it. But my tip is that before you actually play... Just have a goal for the day. doesn't matter what handicap you're on. Your goal could be, look, today I want to have six three-pointers. So turning that back into pro golf, I remember talking to Greg Chalmers many years ago. Wherever he played anywhere in the world, no matter what tournament he played, he said that his goal was to have three under the front nine, three under the back nine and have a number in his head and have some sort of intention. He said, obviously, that doesn't always play out. But other players will say, look, my goal for the day is to make six birdies or my goal for the day is to swing smoothly. So have something. It'd be like going fishing. If you just sort of turn up, grab some frozen prawns from the local garage, throw a line in and just hope something's going to happen. Look, you may get lucky someday. You might pull something in. But really, like fishing, if you look at the tide, what sort of bait, what time of day, what's the weather like, you've got more chance. So when you're playing golf, there's no doubt about it. If you go to the course with some intention or some pre-set idea of what I'd like to do today, that does remove a lot of the emotion from the day as well. And really, if you can meet those goals, you'll generally have a pretty good day. I like that a lot. And my last little tip to that, which has worked for me with a lot of the amateurs that I teach, just say, hypothetically, you play off 18 and you know you've got a shot a hole. When you get your card, just circle 12 holes and just say to yourself, today I'm playing off 12. These are the only holes that I'm getting a, a shot on. And the reason I thought of that many years ago, I played with a fellow who was on 18. We played at Royal Sydney and he hits a beautiful shot into the second about three feet away. And he he missed it and then he tapped it in and I said, oh, that, that's a shame. And he said, oh, it doesn't matter. I get a shot in this hole anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so a shot's a shot at the end of the day. Yeah. And that psychology, that will really help. That'll really help. I love it, Gary. Thank you for that, mate. Well, I think time's up, guys. I think we've had a great run today. Um, it was really, really good talking to Anthony and Jeff. Really. Oh, what a great young Anthony's yes. got. Yeah, especially Jeff. He had that stellar amateur record, but we really want to talk to him about turning pro, what it feels like, what those experiences are, and then him moving forward, playing 
Asian Q school next week, so yeah, it's really good. 19 year old with a 40 year old head. Does that mean that head's going to look pretty bad when he gets to like my age? <laughs> <laughs> He's got the nice skin, so I think he'll age quite well. <laughs> it'll be he'll a, age well. It'll be a smarter head too. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for being part of the show. Thank you, people, for listening. Golfers out there for listening to our show. Andrew, our producer, thank you. And there'll be more of us coming very soon. Beautiful. Beautiful.